Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. Well, a couple things before we get going and as our parents come back from taking their kids back. Um, I am still batching it. Uh, Megan is still at uh, the Discipleship World Discipleship Conference in Orlando. She gets back uh, late tomorrow night um, sometime, and she's not very happy with me right now. She called me this morning, and, and she said, uh, do you want to come pick me up at the airport? I said, sure, what time do you get in? 11? I said, oh, okay. Wait a minute, 11 a.m. or p.m.? She said, p.m.? I'm like, no. <laughs> Sounds like a hotel to you. Um, <laughs> even though last night, I, I have this thing now, and this is why I, I've been having all week, and I, I went, I got a, a COVID test this week because I've just been like sneezing and coughing and all this other kind of stuff, and it's kept me up half the night all week, and, and I'm exhausted, and I don't feel good, but it just turns out to be old-fashioned allergies and all other kind of fun stuff that I've been um, dealing with. So if I look like death, I'll go ahead and acknowledge it now. You don't need to tell me afterwards. Um, the other thing is mom and dad are not here. They're in uh, Lafayette, Indiana, uh, visiting uh, my sister Allie and her kids and, uh, and her grandkids at this point. And so that's where they are. So I'm, I am definitely flying um, solo. And so without people like... Sean Tapman and his family, I don't know where I'd be this morning, but anyway, and Caitlin and everyone's chipping in. And by the way, is not Caitlin doing just an amazing job leading worship? I mean, she just does an incredible job. And I am delaying what I am going to talk about this morning because it's a bummer. I have to talk about suffering. And nobody likes to talk about suffering. Um, so let's start light. Yesterday, I had the History Channel on while I was tinkering with my sermon because I like to rock and roll all night and party every day. And they had this thing about food. Um, did you know, how many of you have eaten orange chicken? Have you eaten orange chicken? Did you know orange chicken was invented in the United States by Panda Express in 1987? It's a true story has nothing to do with the sermon this morning, but at least you learned something. Oh, so let's talk about suffering. And there, you know, look, I have been told, because I've been doing this for a while now, this isn't my first rodeo. I've been doing one form of ministry or another, either part-time or full-time, for 24 years. And, you know, when you meet with church consultants, and all this other kind of stuff, they will all tell you the same thing. Here's how you build a church. You have friendly people, welcome them in. You do all kinds of social media marketing. You have small groups, which, you know, I'm launching one this fall in September, Lord willing. And then the way you preach, and this is very important, preach topically not verse by verse through Scripture. Try not to mention 
anything that will get people depressed. Now, if you're looking to build a big church, that works. The largest church in the United States, and in fact, one of the largest churches in the world, down in Houston, Texas. That church does not contain, if you go into that building, which is a former basketball arena that holds 20,000 people, if you go into that church, you will not find a single crucifix or picture of Jesus on the cross anywhere, and that's on purpose. Because when they asked the pastor, his response was, it bums people out. When he was asked by Larry King, why don't you talk about sin? Because Larry, even Larry King, who was an atheist, got this. Larry King said, I thought that the gospel of Jesus Christ was that we're all sinners. We all owe God this debt that we cannot pay. But that if we come to faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ paid that debt for us on the cross, and then he imparts, he imputes, he gives his perfect life to us to be judged by. Isn't that the gospel? So don't you have to start with everyone's a sinner? To which this pastor replied, I'm here to build people up, not bring them down. So you're a life coach, not a preacher. I mean, let's be honest. And let's also, before we get going, you know, that's never going to happen. We're never going to be a mega church. There's all this other kind of stuff because if nothing else, and I'm not saying it to be holier than thou, I'm just scared of God. And the book of James makes it very clear. I'm going to be held accountable before God for everything I preach. And so I like to stick to the Bible because I figure that's safe. And, but what I have seen, I turned 50 this year, and what I have seen in my lifetime is that the definition, definition of suffering has gone from like cancer, loss of a loved one, warfare, poverty, from that to my Wi-Fi is not working. Right? Or for some people who are really selfish, there are people who drive slow in the left lane. Yes, that's me. So, the definition of suffering has moved, and it's cliche, but it's true. We were just, if you grew up in like the 70s and 80s and so forth, before Wi-Fi and everything, you were just tougher. You were just absolutely tougher. Do you know what game we used to play when we were kids? My, my little sister and I, in the backyard, we had lawn darts. Do you remember what a lawn dart is? It's a weapon. We were playing with deadly weapons. You would throw this sharpened iron dart up in the air, and it was basically like cornhole except your lives were at stake. And by the way, I, I looked this up when I was thinking about this. Lawn darts only sent 6,100 people to the ER. So, I mean, come on. But we've done that. We have become, it, this struck me, it's actually a stand-up comedian who said it, and I can't believe I didn't think about it. I have no idea if this show is still on the air. Is Survivor still on the air? 
Is it? Okay, I don't, I don't know. I haven't watched it since the very first season back in 20 years ago, whenever that was. And I was listening to a stand-up comedian talk, and he said, let me get this right. What we do is we say, you know, you're going to go to this isolated place, and you're going to have to learn to get food and water, and whoever, at the end of the day, whoever does that after whatever it is, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, whatever it is, you get a million dollars. And the comedian said, so, in other words, we're sending Americans to go live like a third of the world already does every day and say, if you can live like a third of the world every day, we'll make you a millionaire? It's like, we have this game, it's like, oh, it's dangerous. It's like, those of you who've been to Uganda, that's life for a lot of people. You know, I mean, that's, we have definitely moved the bar on, you know, on suffering. And I just got a text from my sister-in-law. There's no Sunday night seminar tonight. Yeah, dad's out of town, so just so you know. But anyway, so keep that in context before we get into Job. Because when I'm talking about suffering today, I'm talking about real suffering. I'm not talking about, oh, I've only got one bar. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about real suffering. We're talking about the book of Job. Now, the context of Job is this. We don't know who, who Job really was. You know, we, we're told that he was a godly man, that he lived in this place. We know nothing else about him. We don't know who wrote this book. We don't know a lot of things. And if you read the first chapter, and I'm going to only read like maybe the first, how many verses here? Twelve verses, Job 1, 1 through 12. It's a weird book. I'll talk about it here in a second. Let's jump in. Job 1, 1. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. So all we know about Job is this. One, when it says that, you know, he was a man of blameless, it meant that he only worshipped Yahweh. He only worshipped the one true God. That was kind of the definition of blameless at that time because this is, this is before even the Ten Commandments. He worshipped Yahweh alone, said he was a man of integrity, which means he was honest, and he was rich. That's what we know. Verse 4, Job's sons were, would take turns preparing feasts in their homes. They would also invite three sisters to celebrate with them. And when these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. In other words, he had ten kids who liked to party, which is pretty typical of rich kids. And, but Job was so concerned, he would every day after they'd had one of these parties, he would go and offer you know, offerings to God and pray for them just in case they had sinned. But now things get really weird. Verse 6. One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord. I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. He still does that, by the way. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? 
He is the finest man on all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Okay, can we just admit a couple of things? <clears throat> now understand, I believe every word of the Bible to be inspired, without error, the very word of God. But can we all admit this is weird? You have Satan. It says coming to the heavenly court. Now we are told by, by Jewish writers, the heavenly court, that the temple when David built the temple and Solomon built the temple and all that kind of stuff, David designed it, Solomon built it, that it resembled the heavenly court. And, and if you remember, there are tiers there. There's the outer court where anyone could go in the temple. Then you've got the place where only Jews could go. Then you've got the place where only Jewish men could go. Then you've got the place only priests could go. And then you've got the place where only the high priests could go. There were levels to get to the Ark of the Covenant representing God's presence. That's what you have. I don't know where Satan was standing in this, in this court. I don't know. I'm guessing the outer place. And, and Satan basically, you know, we don't know when this was written. We don't know exactly when this happened. It could not have been that long after the fall when Satan fell from grace. So maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe Satan has not learned his theology yet has not really learned what's up yet. Because he is betting a God who knows everything, including the future. Can we all agree that's going to be a losing bet? And why does God take that bet? It's weird. It's weird. All right. So why does that happen? Two things. First, I don't know. Second, I think I know. We're going to see that Job's, the book of Job, the act, what happens in Job, does have a very specific purpose to it. When it comes to suffering and so forth, and God's people dealing with suffering, and the questions they may have while they are suffering or reflecting on suffering. And I think that's why God allows this to happen. I believe that is why we still have this book, especially the closing chapters. Now, I will warn you, if you want to read Job, please do. I don't discourage anybody from reading Scripture, but I will warn you. It's 40-odd chapters of poetry, Hebrew poetry, and it's not easy reading. So this thing happens. Satan, God says, okay, Satan. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Satan has to have his permission. And so he goes, and he destroy, kills all of Job's children, destroys all of Job's possessions. And how does Job respond? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. 
He responds righteously. Well, God will do as God will do. So then Satan comes back. He wants a second bite at the apple. He said, well, you haven't let me touch him physically. Physically, he's healthy. He's, he's, he's fine. And Joe, being an older guy, and some of you being my age or older, know that when you wake up and something doesn't hurt, that's a good day. And so God says, okay, Satan, but you can't kill him. You cannot kill him. The next thing you know, Job is just laid out, boils, harmful, painful boils all over his, his body. He's sick as a, as, a, as a dog. He just feels awful. And then we're introduced to a couple characters. The first are Job's friends. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, if you haven't read the book of Job, once you get to meet Job's friends with friends like that, who needs enemas? He, these guys, while Job is sitting there suffering in horrible pain, he's lost his children, he's lost everything he owns, and he's absolutely in just ferocious physical pain. And their response to them is, well, it's got to be your fault. You did something. What'd you do? Give us the juicy gossip. Spill it. Tell us what horrible sin you did, Job. Tell us. And Job's like, I, I don't know. I don't think I've done anything. Faithful to God, faithful to my wife, pray for my kids. I, think, I don't know. Well, you had to do something. I don't know what that is. And this just goes on and on and on and on. And this is a typical way of thinking um, in some strands of Judaism today, and in fact, in a lot of religions today. If horrible things are happening to you, it's because you did something horrible to deserve it. I have heard this term in pop culture and even among friends in the last 20 years that I had never heard from people who called themselves Christians before. Karma. Karma is not a Christian idea. Karma is an Eastern Asian idea that good things happen when you do good things and bad things happen when you do bad things. And I have heard this, something will happen, somebody will get busted for, for beating on their spouse or something like that, and I'll hear a Christian person say, that's karma. And I'm like, no. And I try to tell them, quit using that word. The book of Job is a testament that, that that's not true. That's just absolutely not true. Bad things will happen to good people. And good things will happen to bad people. I don't know how many of you kept up with the whole, like, Harvey Weinstein trial thing, Hollywood mogul who was finally nailed and sent to prison for, for just, oh, who knows how many sexual assaults on actresses and, and, and so forth, basically saying, you know, you'll do this or I'll ruin your career, all that kind of stuff. And I heard it in the news then. I heard, I heard opinion people come on and say, this is karma. And I'm like, I've read enough of the history of Hollywood to know that Harvey Weinstein wasn't the first guy who did this, and a lot of them died in their 90s very wealthy. 
Don't give me that karma baloney. That's not a Christian way of seeing things. And on top of the fact that Job's got these friends who are going, oh, you must have done something, you must have done something. Come on, give me the gossip, give it to me. Then we meet Job's wife. Job's wife's answer to all of this suffering is she comes out and looks at Job and says, why don't you just curse God and die? Thanks, honey. Love you too. Whew. So we get all that, but one of the reasons we have the book of Job is because we think that way, it seems like, naturally. That if something bad has happened to you, it's because you've done something bad, you've been a bad person. If you're a good person, good, person, good things happen to you. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. And so God comes along because Job finally says, look, guys, I don't know what big sin you're talking about. If God would just come and see me and I could speak to him, you would see. And one of the other lessons we get from the book of Job is be careful for what you ask for. Because God shows up. And the first thing he says is, your buddy's there. Your buddies." Your wife and your buddies and all this. Everything they said about me is wrong. Now, as terrifying as this is to Job and his buddies and Job's wife, I don't know how many discussions I've been in why I really wish God would show up and do that for me. He's never done it. If I could go to Joel Osteen, if he'd assured me he would do that at Joel Osteen's church, I'd go. But then... Job has said, you know, I, I don't understand. I don't, he gets to the point where Job, go, Job does say, I don't deserve this. And then God's really. And so God says, okay, Job, you want an answer? Fine. So if you go to like Job 38, 2, he says, 1, he says, Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations, and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb, and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no further where you come. Here you proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? This goes on for two chapters. God looks at Job and says, Job, you know so much. Tell me, let me, let me throw something at you. Uh, throw me up a mountain real quick, will you? And Job's like, uh, hey, 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 do you, when you, you hear the eagles cry, do you know what they're saying? Uh, exactly. The only answer God gives 
Job is, me boss, you not. That's it. God doesn't even tell him about Satan in the bed. Job never knows about that Satan's involved in this. And that's another part of it. When you suffer, and some of you have truly, truly suffered, because I've been there with you, or I've talked to you about it, those of you who have lost children or spouses and so forth, you have suffered. And one of the points of the book of Job that you'll miss is that Job is never told that Satan is involved. He only deals with God, and so should you. You don't worry about Satan. You go to your heavenly Father. So the points of Job are that this whole karma thing is nonsense. Bad things will happen. We are all sinners, don't get me wrong. But even if you're faithful, a faithful spouse, faithful to your Lord, you will suffer. You will suffer within your friends, within your family, yourself. You will suffer. But you just need to go to God. Why is there suffering, period? The Bible is very clear. It tells us why suffering is there. Romans 8, 20 through 22, all God's creation suffers because of sin. No sin, no suffering. If Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, paradise would have continued. But once sin enters the picture, see you. And then in the Paul also says in Romans 6.23, the sentence for sin, any sin, is death, eternal death. Any unforgiven sin, any one, just one. My professor Randy Harris used to tell a story. He'd say, a woman lives till she is 100 years old. And for 99 years and 11 months, she is sinless. She never comes to Christ. Does she go to heaven or hell? According to Scripture, hell. Unless Jesus pays the penalty for your sin, you have no hope. And we've all sinned. Jesus is the only person that has not sinned. That means we don't deserve anything good. Nothing. And with, but within this sinful world, suffering does have a purpose. Now, I want you to listen to me. This is the way suffering actually serves God and us. I... Most of the time, the stuff I complain about, and I complain a lot, you know, if they ever have, I know they've got like America's Got Talent and American Idol. I don't have any talent, and I can't sing. But if they ever have like American complainers, 
Like, it's just they just give you a random topic and you just start complaining about it. I'm signing up. I'll at least make the final four. I don't care who I'm up against. I got this new thing now, especially since Megan has been gone. Whenever she travels, I, I do all the grocery shopping. Grocery stores. And it's not the stores or the employees. They're great. I've had nothing but good interactions with the stores and the employees. It's the customers. This person. How many of you know this person? They've got the big cart, not the little hand thing. They've got the big cart. And they're moving really slowly right down the middle of the aisle. And they stop. And you just need to get like one foot past them to get that box of Keurig Starbucks, you know, Italian roast. And they're sitting there going, like they're, you know, like they're getting ready to take selfies and they're at the Grand Canyon. They're just going... And I just, it's just everything I can do not to go, what do you need? We're in the coffee aisle. What, what kind of coffee do you need? Do you have a big pot where you, it's like you scoop it in there? Or you have this thing where you put little pods in there? Let's narrow this down and let's go. No, 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 no. They've got to suck it all in. Drives me crazy. Oh. So, again, guys, don't be that person. If you're in the grocery store, right lane, left lane, okay? And there's somebody around you. And by the way, people, I, this is the also that cracks me up. When people are, like, shocked in the middle of Kroger, in the middle of the day that somebody is around them, they look at them and go, oh, did you think you were alone? Oh. See, I can complain about anything. And I do. But the only real changes, serious changes, for better or for worse, have happened because of suffering. Can we all just admit that we tend to be selfish and stubborn and that we do not change easily? Suffering will do that. I came to Christ in 1997 because a surgeon here in town told me I had colon cancer. That turned out to be incorrect. It was, well, it was benign. Thank God he was wrong, but that brought me to prayer and to salvation. Fast forward 15 years later, and I have a hole in my back about yay big that won't heal. I am allergic, as I've told you many times, to opioids. That's the one thing you can tell people who ask about this church. The one thing you can guarantee is your pastor will never become a drug addict because I can't take them. I'm allergic to them. I had, I had an ER doctor who didn't believe, my sister was with me, my younger sister Amy, who's a nurse and now lives in Cincinnati, told the ER doctor she was with me one day because I was in a lot of pain, 
And, and so he, he, she saw that the doctor was kind of young, said don't give him any opioids, don't give him any pain medicine, he can't take anything stronger than like Advil. And he's like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And then 30 minutes later, I'm doing my best Linda Blair from The Exorcist, and my younger sister, being my younger sister, she looks at the doctor and said, you idiot, you gave him pain medication, didn't you? And he went, yeah. I thought Amy was going to yell, then you clean it up. I, but going through that was just horrible. It was painful. Because I can't have pain medication, I had to have that wound cauterized, which means burnt, every week. And all I could do was bite on a towel like I was in the Civil War or something. And I come out of there just with flop sweat, and it was just, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. And I spent over a year lying on my stomach because I couldn't really sit down comfortably. I couldn't, I just lying on my stomach, feeling worthless. And I had planted a church four years before, and a lot of young people would come to Christ. A lot of people went on from that church to become pastors. And here I am, boom, all this momentum, and then stop. And on top of that, I'm going through these horribly painful treatments, and I got local surgeons going, I don't know what else I can do, you know, and, and, and thankfully, my, my, my own personal doctors, a great guy sent me to Cleveland Clinic, and, and they took care of it, but, that, but I'm telling you, man, for that year, it was, it, was, it was rough. And I got to a point where I was praying to God, and it was not, prayers were not theologically sound. I was saying to God, basically, I don't deserve this. I wasn't even being paid by that church plant. It cost me money. I'm working for a Christian nonprofit, flying all over the country for it, four to five days a week. Then I'm spending a whole day with a bunch of 20-somethings trying to get them away from pornography and, and, and drugs and, and all other kind of stuff and get them baptized and all that. And this is what I'm doing, and I'm not making a penny off of it. And then, God, you do this? I don't deserve this. And then, not in an audible voice, not from a whirlwind, but God made it very clear. Where he basically said, I'm paraphrasing. Matt, do you want to talk about what you deserve? What do you think you deserve? Hmm? One sin can send you to hell. One unforgiven sin can send you to hell. And I don't know about you, but I sin every day. What I deserve? What I deserve is an eternity cast away from Jesus Christ. What I get, not through anything I have done, is the blood of Jesus Christ and the life of Jesus Christ that saves me. We deserve nothing. We get 
more than we can even possibly, as we sit here, imagine. It's important not to get to that place. Don't make the same mistakes that I did. We have no rights with God. There's no constitution in the kingdom. God will do as he pleases. In fact, Psalm 135, 6 says, I, God speaking, I will do as I please. To try and go against the will of God, you are spitting in the wind. You can't stop it. And if part of his plan is that you suffer, so be it. Because God also, as even though he will do as he pleases, the Bible makes it very clear, he cannot lie. He cannot tell an untruth. And one of the things that he inspired his servant Paul to write is he promises to work all things for our good. All things for our good. That includes suffering. And what he means by good is our eternal good. Not right here, right now. So if we suffer, it is for a purpose. And Romans 5, 3 through 4 says we can use it to glorify God. D.A. Carson is a, a New Testament scholar that I respect. And I was listening to him speak one time. And he's at a church outside of Chicago. He's an elder there. And, and uh, this church, very famous, influential church guy by the name of Kent Hughes, preached there for many years. Great preacher. And they had a, the wife of an elder was diagnosed with stage four cancer. They didn't give her good percentage of living beyond a year. And so they had a prayer service for her. The elders and a bunch of people from the church came together, and they prayed over, and, and various people would come up and pray and speak. Most of them said the same thing. They'd get up there, and they'd say, Lord, we just asked for a miracle here. We know you can do it. We ask that you heal her, and that her healing be a sign to the world. Nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing. But then an 80-some-year-old lady who had buried a husband and a son got up and she prayed. And here's what she prayed. She prayed, Lord, I too hope that you heal our sister. But if you don't, may her suffering bring you honor and glory and bring others to your son, Jesus Christ. The preacher didn't have the guts to say that, but let me tell you, that old lady was being more biblical than anybody else in that place. Tim Keller, I have a quote in your bulletin from Dr. Tim Keller, but he had taken it from someone else, a church father. 
the church father's quote basically says this. If I had the power that God has, I would change everything. But if I had the power of God and the knowledge of God, I would change nothing. I don't want to suffer. I don't want you to suffer. We have people here who are suffering. We have people here with cancer. We have people here who are grieving. Poor Norm Campbell. Norm lost his mom, buried his mom. I went to the funeral. And then the next day, I had to take his wife to the ER. Becky just had surgery, had her gallbladder out. She's in pain, but she's recovering. We have people who are suffering. You take that bulletin home, prayer list, there are people who are suffering. And I don't want that for you. But it's not up to me. It's up to the Lord. He controls all things. He is on the throne. He either does it or he allows it. Either way, he's on the throne. You go to him. And you go to him. Because we're all going to suffer. And I'll hate it. And we'll cry with each other. And we'll pray with each other. But it's coming. If it's not already here. But the lesson of Job is it's not because something you have done necessarily. It has nothing to do with that idiotic notion of karma which doesn't exist. It has to do with that God will do as he pleases. We won't be able to understand all of it. He probably can't explain it all to us. We don't, we're not able to think like God. He's told us this very early on, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord. We don't know. But if you're truly saved, if you truly have faith in Jesus Christ, you'll trust the Lord. And one day you may know, but quite frankly, at that point you may not care. Because this life is tougher than what a lot of television preachers tell you it is, and heaven is greater than you can possibly imagine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your book of Job. It's tough teaching. We are all, myself included, self-centered, selfish. We want comfort. We're addicted to comfort. But when suffering comes, may we never, ever question you. May we praise you. May we ask you to use it to glorify you. May we serve you when we are healthy, and may we serve you from a hospice bed. May we praise you. May we praise you when we're sitting comfortably in air conditioning in front of our television, or we're sitting with pain in the ER. May we praise you and trust you. 
because you work all things for our good. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, folks, uh, the kids may have just a few more minutes left. So you got kitties back then. You may have to wait for just about seven or eight uh, minutes because I got done uh, a little early because, Lord willing, there is a opposite of suffering, a nap in my future. Um, but I know this is tough teaching. I know it brings up a lot of emotions. But just remember, if nothing else, Orange Chicken was invented in 1987 in Panda Express? <laughs> wow. God bless you. God goes with you. See ya. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.